0: hello everybody welcome to daily coast of brief welcome to the first show of the 2024 election cycle year holy crap it's happening carrie it's happening and we are going to be tracking the ins and outs of the 2024 presidential cycle on this podcast it's gonna be um a little terrifying i'm not gonna lie but uh yeah i think we have a real good chance here if we all do what we need to do we have a good chance to drive a stake in the heart of maga and uh and uh I, it, we have to do it. I think our country has to eliminate this existential threat to our democracy. So glad you are joining us. Glad you're here. We are glad to be here. Carrie, I love your Maryland hat. So uh, Maryland?
1: That. Michigan! Wait, Michigan. wait, Minnesota?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Minnesota? Go
1: Bruno, baby! Go Massachusetts! Bruno.
0: Massachusetts! Massachusetts.
1: We- one. I know one of those M states, right? But my, my wife, who's actually from Boston, is sometimes like, you know, you come from one of those flyover M states. I'm like, uh, yeah, there's quite a difference between Minnesota, Michigan and Montana. There's a lot of there's a there's some differences there. There's some differences. So and and I'm sure everyone from those states would be happy to tell you what they are. But anyway, yeah, no, it's listen. Good start to the year for me. I mean, I got to go to the Rose Bowl. Michigan oh, you were won. there. I was at the Rose Bowl, and then Michigan won the national championship. So the Rose Bowl was the semifinal. I will say this because there is a tie-in. There is a political tie-in. I wrote a piece um, on this for the site saying what I learned about twenty twenty four presidential politics from the, you know, from the the Rose Bowl, and which I think. A decent read, unless you just hate Michigan, then don't read it because it'll just tick you off. But, like, I think there's but one thing I will say Michigan, I when I grew up, Michigan was a really good team every year. We had a good chance of going to the Rose Bowl and winning, etc. Then we went through a really bad, like, decade and a half down period where our team just got gutted and we kept trying to rebuild it, and it was a rough go. And there's not, and then in the last three years, we've really turned around. There's nothing, lo, you, you appreciate what you win or what you get way more when you've lost it. And I think that that holds for democracy. When, you know, m- democracy has been just considered for most of my lifetime to be in the ether of the United States. It's just there. It's just in the air you breathe and it's not going anywhere. It's
0: baked into our national founding document, right? Why would you? even question.
1: Right. It's you would premise. never question it. Right. You would never question. And and we've been we've had to question it over the past, you know, hand basically in the Trump era. Um, Trump and his MAGA cultists have made us question it. And so now here we are and we have to fight for it. And you know, it's it, it, democracy is going to be a lot sweeter and we're going to be a lot more appreciative of it. Assuming that we are able to prevail here, um, hopefully in short order, and not in the long term. I mean, hopefully we can prevail in the next decade and not have to have a longer march back than that.
0: Yeah, I mean that that analogy actually also holds true for abortion rights. Same thing. Exactly,
1: that's exactly right. And which is a whole, which is an abortion rights. That's all about freedom, right? We're talking about having freedom here versus not, right? That's the that's the difference in in saving our democracy. We get freedom. Uh, or we get no abortion rights. We get, um, you know, people are stripped of their healthcare decisions. We get book bans. We get, yeah, contraception, all kinds of stuff. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff baked into that. So anyway. Yeah. It's
0: been fascinating. It's a theme that we've actually hit upon significantly last year. And it's going to be a theme that it's definitely going to loom large in this coming presidential election is how Republicans used to identify with the whole idea of freedom and how they utterly surrendered that in, in not, they didn't even, Democrats didn't even have to fight for it. Republicans just sort of kind of handed it to them on a platter and said, here, you're now the party of freedom. Cause we're the party of going after corporations like Disney and Miller light. We're the party that's going after people's abortion rights and their contraception rights. We're the party that's going to question that's going to stick government into everybody's business and forget that freedom stuff. we talked about that. The only time we talk about freedom anymore is the uh, second amendment. It's gun rights. Like, I, I just understand because everybody loves freedom. It's, it was a great concept. And if you're so strongly branded with that word and to just give it up, like nothing. And uh, Donald Trump was a big part of that. Ron DeSantis has been huge in in leading the charge. And as much as as uh, conservatives have cried about being canceled, like they've become like the kings, uh, the masters to try to cancel people like Harvard's president. Uh, over things that they don't like, and so they have they have become what they used to claim to hate the most. Uh, they used to claim that republic that Democrats were taking away people's freedoms, and quite frankly, I'm I'm kind of glad that this is something that that has sort of flipped. It makes our lives a lot easier in selling the Democratic Party not just to our own faithful, but also extending it to the the swing constituencies in the suburbs. I think it's no surprise that suburban white. Uh, college-educated women have been swinging in our direction. It's no surprise that the first word in Joe Biden's announcement speech back last year was freedom, and it's something that Democrats are definitely are going to ride very effectively, I think, into the into these uh, these elections.
1: Sorry, I've got a leaf blower here, so I'm just going to. You know what, Marcos, you are so right, and then I'm going to mute myself again.
0: <laughs> so the the main topic of today's uh, show actually is not going to be about the general election. We're going to have plenty of time to talk about that, but we're going to be talking about the um, Republican primary. And we the next time we talk on this show will be the day after the Iowa caucuses. So we're going to have a lot better sense if there's going to be much of a Republican race. In 2024, right now, obviously, Donald Trump looms large. He's got the big polling leads. There's hints that maybe South Carolina former governor Nikki Haley is getting a little bit of traction. Ron DeSantis has polls show he has support in the high single digits, low, double, you know, 12, 13 percent. Can he make a run of it? There's always this question, Karen, you, you know this very well, having tracked politics for a long time, elections, but... There's always this question about how important a ground game is in Iowa, and there's a sort of pretense that oh, the ground game, and Ron DeSantis, he's he's got he's got all the preachers, he's organized the preachers and evangelicals, and and I'm not sure what Nikki Haley has organized, um, and I've actually seen a bunch of stories about. Trump having zero ground game in Iowa. Like he's he's like so self-confident, and so incompetent, he can't put together anything. Is the ground game going to be a thing, or is Donald Trump just gonna write his name recognition in the MAGA cult to an easy Iowa caucus victory?
1: I mean, my, my guess is yes, he will. Um, you know, his mag his his ground game, I think, at this point is the MAGA cult. And I think the difference here in this primary is that That I don't think that we've had in Iowa and that I can remember like in my lifetime is that Trump is virtually an incumbent. Right. Usually when you have the Iowa caucuses, you have upstarts or, you know, established politicians who obviously haven't held the presidency before. So like Obama, who was an upstart in 2008 and you and and Hillary Clinton, who was an established, very established politician, national politician, but certainly hadn't won the presidency yet, um, you know, other than having, you know, her husband had, and she had resided in the White House. But that's, it's just, it's wildly different in that sense, because it's almost like Trump doesn't have to work without having to have a real ground game, ground game, the way most people do um, in an Iowa caucus. And really, unless you've covered an Iowa caucus, or actually are an Iowa iowan or in the past have participated in such a caucus or whatever it's hard to kind of imagine like what it's like to go to these gymnasiums and have these people show up like in very usually very very cold bitter weather to you know to sort of caucus for their candidate and try to convince people if they if other candidates don't meet the threshold A-A-K. why they sh-
0: yeah. yeah actually this is a good chance to explain what the caucus is cuz I bet yeah, a lot right. of people still and, and you, you were starting to get into it but let's let's if you could step back and just start sure. from the beginning what is an Iowa caucus cuz it's not okay, the local
1: no, it's not democracy. And it draws an ins- it, it draws sort of an insanely low proportion of voters to it, right? It's not something where you get to just go and cast your ballot and then walk out, right? Now, sometimes when people cast their ballots, they wait for hours in line, right? You know, that does happen in, in big elections. But but a caucus is really where um, a group of people, you know, groups of people across the, the state descend on Local, you know, places that are designated usually like a, a you know, school, gym. school gymnasium, yeah. that type of thing. That's the like one of the most typical. And you go there and you get into, you know, you divide up into your factions of the people that you are supporting, and then um, the account is taken. And I can't remember the actual threshold that you have to meet, but the candidates all have to meet. a threshold of the percentage of people that are there in that particular gymnasium. So you literally count how many people are in that gym. Then you count how many people are, as they divide up, supporting, you know, Trump or Haley or DeSantis and then um, or Christie or Ramaswamy, et cetera. And then once you once you make that count, I you could probably look this up while I'm doing it um, just so we don't. Spread disinformation here, but misinformation here. But um, I, I think it's like 15%. Like, if you don't meet some sort of threshold of how many people are there, the percentage, then all of those people who are there supporting, for instance, Chris Christie, who will definitely not meet the threshold, they have to decide where to go. And at that point, you're having a conversation where the where the DeSantis folks and the Haley folks are trying to make yeah. n- negotiate. Like, Here, come over, yeah, to come us. over. The water's warm. And let me tell you our candidates the best. And if you come over to us, then you know, we can like if you really want someone to beat Trump and MAGA, then don't go over to DeSantis because he's essentially Trump light. And you know, that like this is the type of negotiation that's going on. And so it's a wild thing and it takes several hours to play out um, and it really shows you why you can't, you can't kind of, unless you're in a, a practical incumbent, which is what Trump is, you can't kind of half-ass, excuse my, my French there, but you can't kind of half-ass call it in, you know, in Iowa. Like you have to convince people that they want to go out in the bitter cold and spend three hours typically. It's
0: not, it's not a secret ballot. It's, no, it's, it's out in the open. Yeah. Uh, turnout is about two to three percent traditionally of Iowa's yeah. electorate, which is when I still don't understand how Iowa kept that number one spot as long as it did. And the Democrats finally killed it. They, they took away Iowa New Hampshire's number one uh, role because of the wildly undemocratic and the amount of power that they had in filtering out the actual presidential field uh, was unwarranted for a Tiny percentage of an unrepresentative white rural state. So, uh, good riddance on the Democratic side. Republicans, of course, they they kept it for whatever reasons they decided to keep it. I
1: miss it. I'm
0: going <laughs> to. <laughs> no. no.
1: haven't covered it. I actually miss no. it. You know what? Let me just let me give you the counter. Let me just give you the counter. Someone like Barack Obama can go there and spend time there. And by, by virtue of the fact that you're focusing on such a small portion of people in a small state, you can actually make a name for yourself. Barack Obama probably wouldn't have ended up president if Iowa hadn't gone first, and I'm not kidding. So, um, so you, because of that, you can go into gymnasiums and as a person who's relatively unknown on the national stage, convince a bunch of people, make believers of them, and the, I'm not talking about the Republican. The Republican is totally different. Their whole their whole caucus is um, is sort of uh, overshadowed by evangelical voters and how much influence they have. But you know, Barack Obama, like he he launched, he he got rocket fuel out of Iowa, and as we all know, then lost in New Hampshire. So you know, just nothing,
0: to- right? In uh, the counter 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 argument, whoa, Carrie, okay, we're the we're in a real debate here. The counter, counter, counter argument is that um, this was more the case back in the old days when people had to sort of connect on an individual basis with, with voters because it was three te- television stations, you know, maybe one or two big radio stations. Local media was a big deal. So you had to actually talk to people and make sure you were covered by local media. That really started changing in 2004 actually with uh, the rise of the internet and, and blogging. We were a big part of that. We had people like Howard Dean and Wesley Clark um, have boomlets and they were tested in that national cauldron of presidential politics. And both of those guys failed, but they had their moments. And, and uh, in the end we got the establishment figure, right? We got John Kerry in 2004, but in 2008, Barack Obama was a big deal. Like he was already had a national, heavy national following. He was already raising tens of millions of dollars. I don't see how different it would have been had that first primary been South Carolina. In fact, it may have been even more help because, you know, South Carolina has a heavily black Democratic electorate. So the current democratic system has basically well, except that he
1: was down he was down in south carolina the south carolinian the black south carolinians at the time were more supportive of hillary clinton simply because they really didn't believe that a bunch of white voters yeah. would 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 support him yeah I and mean, once he true. came out of iowa and a bunch of white voters did support him black south carolinians were like whoa hold on here i think we got a candidate
0: so and we don't know. Obviously, it's a different environment. You yeah. <laughs> would have done well enough to obviously go on to Nevada and to other states. So it, yeah, it wouldn't, no, it it wouldn't have killed yeah. him. In the end, I'm sure in the current calendar, the outcome would have been those two candidates going out, the, you know, distance like happened in real life, right? Like oh, they were the two strongest candidates by far, in, like, in that in that field. But it would have um, been
1: it would have been them.
0: We yeah we have we have now a system that is that has a more representative set of states that represent the base of the Democratic Party, not rural white voters that can afford and a lot of that in, in Iowa it's not it's not working class people that are actually showing up to the caucuses they actually have to work or they have kids you know they can't get child care so you have a bunch of really old people so you got it generationally it's not even representative you I mean you get some college students in some college precincts but. That's not a lot of that in Iowa. I was a the very old stadium that
1: I was at covering Obama was very young.
0: Yeah, it I was mean
1: young, and, and they, he must have been they, in they one
0: were one of the so, very few college area. They were, so or, or about,
1: they were so jazzed about Obama, so jazzed. But anyway, it's,
0: it's anyway it's not really. And you know what? Throw it in there. Have straw polls. Like I'm, I'm all for that. But the idea that that it was Iowa that was going to actually determine not Iowa, two percent of Iowans that we're going to determine who our finalists for the presidential field were was grossly unfair. And in my ideal world, honestly, Carrie, it wouldn't even be South Carolina. It would be rotating cast. It would be regional like this year, the Midwest starts and, you know, South uh, West coast and East coast. And then it would rotate every four years or when there's a real presidential election. It gets a little complicated, obviously, because states have to agree individually when their primary is and, uh, some of the challenges that that the parties can't just dictate this, and so in my ideal ideal world, you might even have a national primary where you have a series of votes and it's all on the internet, like it's all online or or mail voting. So there's just one ways to do it to make it more fair. Iowa, a one off, might have been fun, but the fact that they held that position for I don't know 100 years, however long it was, primaries have been around since the 50s, so 50 60 years they kept that that monopoly. Was grossly unfair for the rest of the country. And frankly, I don't think it gave us the best candidates a lot of the time because the kind of candidates that won were the kind of candidates that went in there and promised ethanol and things that, and it wasn't, it was parochial interest deciding who the rest of the country was going to have as presidential candidates. So I, for one, am glad. But all that said, what would it take for to basically harm Donald Trump? Like, what kind of result would it take for people to go, wait a second, Donald Trump is vulnerable. And I think it is 55% and less. I think if we get to a point where Trump does not, I mean, he may get 55 and Nikki Haley gets 15 and DeSantis gets 10 and whatever, right? But if the anti, or not the anti-Trump, because it's not necessarily anti-Trump, if the not Trump vote is close to 50%.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: I think that sets a narrative that half right. the party, even though we're talking two percent of Iowans. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, no, that's right, that's right. I mean, everybody's first of all, right now Trump is a non-story in Iowa because all of the national reporters expect him to win, right? Yeah. So he's like, so they're just that assumption just makes him not interesting. I think every, what the question everybody has is who comes in second. But I tell you what is a Trump story if he doesn't get above fifty percent. Right. And if it, even if he's in the 51, 52, starting to look a little, you know, iffy, because because yeah. then he starts to look a little vulnerable. Right. Um, and I think that if he were to I mean, really, if he were to come in, even with like forty nine percent, I think people would make a big deal out of that. Now, the polling suggests that isn't true. The polling suggests that he will do better than that. But, you know, I was notoriously difficult. The caucuses are pretty difficult. Yeah, say, to, the polling is rough yeah is is to to they, they you know like the polling can get sometimes pretty close to who's going to win but by how much is kind of a different story so um so i think it would be interesting number 1 if if to your point he he hovered just above 50 or fell below 50 and then that would become a story whoa is trump vulnerable yeah here? then he's
0: starting to do math, simple math is if if the yep. if the rest of the base of uh, the rest of the field consolidates what right. does that look like and there's a very big difference in this year compared to previous years because in previous years what you would have is you would have three republican factions sort of dominate you would have the evangelical candidate like a Ted Cruz or a Rick Santorum you would mm-hmm. have uh or uh, um yeah you would have the establishment candidate Jeb Bush or you know Mitt Romney and then you would have like the Tea Party candidate and the Tea Party candidate was like the Sarah Palin, like the, the crazy wild, what has now become MAGA. And what Trump has really done is he's sort of swallowed all three in a way, right? So there's really no factions. And so in previous cycles, what you would have is like, for example, uh, back in 2016, Trump was winning, but not by a lot. Like mm-hmm. he was winning 30%, 40% in a fractured field, these these. And the difference just so it's clear for people, is that in the Republic in the in the democratic primary process, delegates are apportioned proportionately. You have to meet a certain threshold per state. but if you generally win sixty percent of the vote, you get like sixty percent of the delegates roughly. In the Republican system, it's winner take all. So Trump was winning delegates, entire delegate slates from states. By winning with like forty percent of the vote, not with a majority. So this is not the Donald Trump of now. This was a Donald he, Trump of then.
1: Even and, less than forty. He was winning with what? like thirty-three to thirty-five percent of the vote, and then take because the because the vote was so I mean was so divided up. I mean yeah. that was yeah. So and
0: so what happened is towards the end. And Carrie, remind me because I know Ted Cruz was one of the one of the survivors, and there was somebody else that was that lingered to the very end as well. And they were. Do you remember who it was?
1: It wasn't Jeb, was it? It was Ru- no, Rubio I don't think Rubio Ru- it depends on what you're calling the very end because Ru- I-, I don't think Rubio Rubio basically he he had a ticket out of Iowa he came in third um, and we don't need to dwell on this for too long because because what we should be talking about is what's yeah. going to happen. But Ru- Rubio came in third out of Iowa. Then then um, he got thumped by Christie on the debate stage and had a rough time in New Hampshire, had a bad showing yeah. in New yeah. Hampshire. And, and then he, he dropped off shortly thereafter.
0: Yeah, but I don't remember till the very end. It, there was a three person race and had. That, and the same thing happened back uh when when Mitt Romney would, you know got the nomination is is that you had the three factions and nobody wanted to give up their position because they were getting their solid 30 percent 25 30 percent and there was no unified anti-frontrunner candidate I think this year because there's no factions they've been erased Trump has sort of co-opted all three of them there very well could be a situation where if if haley's at 18 percent and the Santos at 12, or you know, roughly, that the Santa's like, yeah, I'm not going anywhere. I'm out of here. Like, the Santa doesn't have an ideological reason to stay in the race. It's been embarrassing. Like, you know, he should be dropping out yesterday. It's so bad. So I, I could see a very real situation that, given the right circumstances, that Nikki Haley can actually – with a more unified field can start getting up into the 40s, mid-40% against Trump. And even if Trump is winner take all, winner take all, winner take all, like she can linger because she's close enough to sort of start flipping. And all she has to do is start well, winning at some point. And
1: right we don't, we don't happen? Even probably not. Probably but, not, but possible, and we have polling that suggests that that's completely plausible. Because, that, first of all, if I think if if Haley takes second, that would be a a, a decent surprise in Iowa, and I bet you, um, you know, the DeSantis support and uh, and donor support would dry up overnight. They'd be and, like, and this you're is done.
0: What, it's what 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 drives candidates out of the of the primary isn't their own will to keep fighting. It's money. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Shut that. They shut that stuff down immediately if they see their guys not winning. Boom. Money gone. Right.
1: And he's already been, ha- DeSantis has already been having trouble. A lot of internal trouble in his, you know, in his uh, campaign and whatever. And it's not to say Haley hasn't made some missteps, but she doesn't have, she doesn't have like this internal fight going on within her own camp. <laughs> and let's just look at the, just, to, just you know, for instance, let's just say she's neck and neck, um, you know, with DeSantis for a second. She has a real shot in, um, in uh, New Hampshire, whereas, DeSantis doesn't he's like in most polling now down into the single digits in the latest um, University of New Hampshire poll uh, uh, with CNN. It just came out, I think, today. Trump's at 39 oh. percent, Haley's at 32 percent, and Christie's at 12 percent. OK, so those are the top three. Now, just think about this. What if and I don't I don't I, I don't pretend to know what the heck Chris Christie would do because he's got a big ego and he you know, he's he's got a reason to stay in, which is I'm the only one that will say no one should vote for Trump and blah, blah, blah. If Trump's at 39 and Haley's at 32, if Christie were to drop out, she would get Almost all of Trump of Christie's votes, because Christie's voters, they're not DeSantis people. They're not interested in DeSantis. They they are there because they're the anti-Trump folks. And they would they would put they would essentially put, um, you know, push Haley if he were to drop out into the 40s. And, you know, Trump would obviously get some fall off from other people, too. But the other thing that you have happening in New Hampshire, which I think which I haven't seen any really good reporting on, maybe there's been some, but I haven't run across it yet, which is there's a bunch of Democrats in New Hampshire who are gonna be twiddling their thumbs on primary night because they don't really care about voting for Dean Phillips. And independents too, who might be Democratic leaning, and they can vote, they can re-register as Republicans and vote in the Republican. And Trump is dreadful enough that he's the type of person that inspires people to go out and change their registration so that they can vote against him in the, um, in the primary. And they, that could very well happen. So even if that's just, you know, ends up being, you know, a, a few percentage points of the vote, that makes a big difference. Like Haley, there's a lot of reasons that Haley could have a surprise upset of Trump in New Hampshire. All right. And, so I'm yeah. going to,
0: I'm going to sort of recapsulate a lot of what you said. So this yeah. is sort of like the, the fluke, we have a real Republican race scenario, right? So Trump, 50, 55 percent. You have Nikki Haley come in pretty strong with a strong, dominant second place uh, finish, which is sort of knocks out everybody else because it's such a weak field. There was that. Just a quick aside. There was a story. I think it was The Washington Post that interviewed some Trump supporters in Iowa, and they had no clue when the caucus was because there's no campaign telling them. So literally they're asking the reporter when. Is it this Monday? <laughs> and the report's like, no, it's next Monday. That's great. And, uh, and where do we need to go? Like, they have no clue, right? So there, there's that, little things like that. I mean, that could be worth five, 10 points for all we know. And and um, so you have Nikki Haley. Maybe she gets 20%, 18%, whatever. But everybody else is sort of lagging. So immediately you have the the DeSantis drops out. People, Ramosjwani, he might not drop out, but he people will be like, okay, he's done. And then you get it to New Hampshire where you're right. You have somebody like Chrissy and Chrissy's like, you know what? My job here is to kneecap Donald Trump. And what better way to do that than to come out and forcefully endorse Nikki Haley as the one person that can save the Republican Party from, you know, from the Stranger America. things have happened. And she either she wins, which, whoa. I mean, then she's going into home territory, and then you might even get a situation like like you talked about with Obama, where black voters in in South Carolina weren't taking him seriously because why would white voters vote for a black man? Suddenly thinking like, oh, you know, this this is a real candidate. This is a serious candidate, and it changed sort of the dynamics of that vote. Very same thing may happen where a lot of people who voted for Nikki healy in the past were like, well, it's going to be Donald Trump, obviously. Suddenly they see a wound at Donald Trump. And this is a Donald Trump that is also dealing with all these cases. The headlines are pretty brutal. You might even have, you know, some physicians come down on whether he has presidential immunity and whatnot that sort of sort of keeps stepping on his message. And that's, I get the sense that a lot of Republicans are getting tired of the circus. And there's polling that shows Nikki Haley doing really well against Joe Biden. I wouldn't give it much credence because it's in a vacuum. It's it's weird polling, but if I'm a if I'm Nikki Haley, I'm pumping that stuff out as okay. much as I can, right?
1: <laughs> I don't know why she's not talking about that non-fricking stop. I mean, me? <laughs> like, that's the
0: strongest case. Right? Yeah. So yeah, and then once you get to South Carolina, maybe she's got two two wins in a row, or even if she comes close in 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 New Hampshire and she pulls off a win in South Carolina. I think at that point it's a new race and all the anti-Trump money and there's a lot of the anti-Trump money in the Republican Party oh, it will, is oh. going to flood in.
1: Oh, She's oh not going to have like a any f-
0: money problems. He's it will a be gripper. like a fire
1: hydrant. She'll be like, <laughs> she'll be like, whoosh.
0: <laughs> and like- Donald Trump, you know, Donald Trump, he'll lose it. He's already accusing her of not being eligible to run for president because of some crackpot birther Uh, theory that her parents weren't born in the U.S., therefore she's not allowed to run for president. I mean, there's like, he's already trafficking in, so I think he's already starting to feel a little bit threatened by her. Absolutely.
1: Donald Trump, the minute Donald Trump sent out, I don't know, a couple months ago, that thing about Nikki Haley being a bird brain, you knew that she was getting underneath his skin. And now he's like, oh, I'm going full conspiracy theory on Nikki Haley, not being eligible to run, which is a total conspiracy conspiracy theory. It's not true. She's eligible. um, And that's been put to bed, but not in, you know, not in people's people who are like living in the miasma of conspiracy theories. Like they can't see the light for the life of them. It, but the fact that he's pumping that out is very telling.
0: Carrie, I think we're we're at the end of the show, but I, I think we're sort of agree that that I mean, the more likely outcome is that Trump wins handily and he coasts, and then there's not much of a race. But but there is, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Can I just make
1: part? one more point? Yeah. Please. Which is that even even if Haley doesn't win, if she makes a race of it, and I've been saying this, but for people who are you know haven't lit, this their first time tuning into us or whatever you welcome by the way if it is um but uh i think it's i think it's actually helpful to have Nikki Haley making a case against Donald Trump, you know, and if she really senses that she can win and she really puts it on the line, she could she's got the communication skills to make a good case against him. And that's helpful for the, you know, squish, the squishy Republicans, the people who aren't so, you know, and, and people who really don't like Trump, even if they really don't like Biden, they really don't like Trump. It's really important to have Nikki Haley out there. Like, I think it could be important to have her out there making a strong case against Trump for those people, even if she loses.
0: And if you're worried about those polls showing Nikki Haley handily beaten Joe Biden, just, just think, will Donald Trump go down quietly if he loses the primary or will he take us 30% of the Republican party and further radicalize them against Nikki Haley? She will have stolen the election. She will have, she's part of, so it would sunder the Republican party in half. I don't see a scenario where she beats Donald Trump and he doesn't take his marbles and runs home.
1: Unless, unless there's a backdoor uh, promise for a, uh, you know, for a pardon. I mean, that's the one thing he legitimately cares about. I don't know. I'm just throwing out there. I think, you know, you could hear her being like, well, listen, you know, we all know that uh, Trump has been targeted by the Biden administration and I would do right by him and blah, 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 blah. You know, I mean, like. Maybe, maybe in that situation, that's his best play. The, the one thing, the only reason—I I mean, he he might run again, anyways. But his biggest reason for running is so that he can beat the the rap, right? He needs to win in order to not go to jail because he's going to get he, he's almost surely going to get snagged somewhere.
0: Yeah.
1: Um mm-hmm. so and that's Chris Christie himself was like I know that's one of his biggest fears because when I was a US attorney, Trump said to me, this is long before Trump was a politician, Trump said to me, man, I don't know how you do it. Like I just can't imagine ever going to jail. And you know, Chris Christie's talked about that and his fear of what it would be like to have the door Slam shut on the other side.
0: Yeah, it's his fear, but it's my it's it's my fantasy, (laughs) my deepest fantasy. I must admit it. I must. (laughs) It's it's kind of hot. I don't know.
1: (laughs) It's okay. I can live with that fantasy. I can live with it.
0: All right, Gary, that's our show for today. Thank you so very much. Thanks to Walter for producing the show. Thanks for Perry and Paul for doing everything they do behind the scenes to support the show. And thank you, the viewer, listener, reader, for being part of the Daily Coast community and being part of this fight for our democracy. This is it, guys, 2024. Glad you're with us and glad you're along for the ride. And I'm so happy, proud, and uh, grateful that you are with us as well. So love you all. Have a great week. See you all next week.